my no, hands. That's not like, my dad taught me how to do a spiral in the backyard. So whatever I meet, that's I want to like, oh, yeah. I'm in these suites with very wealthy people sure. and being treated very poorly, specifically by women. How am I 45 and no one has ever told me this before? Mm. Like there was just such a sense of like, I have suffered for so many years. I feel beautiful. I feel like crazy care every single time I talk about it. And I just like, was just like. Hello and welcome to Redirected. My name is Andrew East and this is a show where we sit down with celebrities, athletes, entrepreneurs, really anybody who has experienced a significant pivot or change in life. I call these changes redirections. And we all go through them, they look differently. It could look like a relationship ending, it could look like getting laid off from your job, it could look like an illness. But uh, we sit down and try to hear people's stories for uh, the purpose of learning from them so that when we go through these transitions, when I go through these transitions, we can learn from them and uh, make it through smoothly to the other side. So today we have a real treat with us. We're sitting down with Hillary Rushford and Hillary has an awesome story. She talks to us about her transition from being a Rockette to ultimately being an entrepreneur and starting her own company called Dean Street Society where she helps empower women by feeling confident about their sense of fashion and their style. And so I really enjoyed this conversation with Hillary. I've been following her for the past couple of years. And if you guys wanna find more about her, you can find her information in the show notes down below. Before we get started, I would be honored if you could give the show a rating and subscribe to it on whatever platform you're listening to. It really helps us out. But without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this one with Hillary Rushford. Hillary, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I have uh, been hearing your name for the past year and a half or so, so it's mm-hmm. a real delight to meet you. Yeah, ditto. Um, I just want to start off, I feel like we share three things in common. Okay. First is... I believe your favorite color is blue, from my understanding. It is. Peacock blue, especially? Is yes, that the? Okay. Specifically. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what peacock blue is. I just like it's blue. It's like a in bluish green. Okay. Sort of like. I'm into it. Deep teal. I I'm feel like it's it. a good gender neutral color yeah. for the most part. So, All right. Yeah. Second, um, we both have backgrounds in acting. I did not know this about you. Yeah. High school, I was in a high school play. Okay. Yeah. W- one high school play? Just one. Okay. Just one. <laughs> I was one and done, you know? Yeah. No, it's, I get it. I get it. I threw a football once, so I was really like at Kinship as well. Like, on no, my that's end, not like, My dad taught me how to do a spiral in the backyard. So whenever I meet that's someone, not I'm like, oh, yeah. oh, my gosh. And then three, um, we're both super stylish, clearly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, I was trying to like match your <laughs> level today. So when you walked in, I don't know if people can see start. it. You have your shirt tucked in, showing a little red pocket <laughs> matching your red lipstick i am super impressed and That's, a little envious here i'm like a good point yeah. it's, it's all in the details so you got those That's jeans right. that have like a little bit of red on them they just look a little different than right. you know your old navy jeans so. right i'm still shook from your football comment but um i would love to hear i always like to start off um hearing about how people grew up and what that was like what their family like was like i i feel like I heard your dad was a teacher. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Sweet. Yeah. Love. Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up, um, I went to Pepperdine University, which is in Malibu, and I grew up inland from there. My parents both worked at Pepperdine. So my dad was a professor, and I got just really lucky that my mom put me in a dance class when I was little. I was like three or four, just something that you do that I'm sure you'll do with your now new, <laughs> um, new little one. And the tap teacher that I was with was just an exceptional teacher. And like years later, it, you know, 
22, I would get a Broadway tour that changed my life. And truly, I feel like it was because I had that amazing foundation that just happened to be like the local teacher at the local studio that was especially um, amazing and a really great teacher. So, um, and I also got really lucky that my dad is, he's a professor, he loves college football. He's more of like a guy's guy intellectual, but he loves theater. So growing up, like as a father-daughter date night, he would just take me to downtown LA and we'd see some modern dance group or we'd see all the performances at Pepperdine. Um, so also grew up with a lot of that influence and with them really supporting me, even though I don't come from a, like my, my father is literally the worst singer in the kingdom of God. Like he is a, him, kingdom, he's a yeah. hymn historian. He uh, loves church hymnology and he can tell you all these magical stories about how amazing grace was written and all of this but to stand next to him in church like it is rough so i did not get that <laughs> like in my dna right but i did get it in like it was my mom who just put me in the dance class and my dad kind of encouraged me and and they both were super supportive of that until i told them i want to do it professionally and then they were like oh Oh, we, we thought this was just a hobby. Like, well, so you've, you've come to like every single performance. And they were like, right, but here's, um, here's the budget of how much you cost each month. So how are you going to pay for this doing theater? I was like, well, I'm going to get a job where keeping in our public. And then I'll like, that was my big life plan. And then I'll like do local theater. And they were shockingly not supportive. <laughs> um, because I think they just didn't get that. I remember sitting in a car and saying to my mom, don't you see if I don't try this? I'm always going to wonder. Hmm. And she was like, no, because she just never had a thing. So she really wow. hadn't had that thought. And then six weeks later, I booked a Broadway tour and suddenly they were like, our daughter's amazing. Our daughter's a professional actress. <laughs> right. like, uh, really changed their tune. That's impressive because a lot of times I feel like it's like father, like daughter, right? Where mm-hmm. if your dad wasn't a risk taker, you're not going to be either. And I think he is in that he actually is very entrepreneurial in what he does. Like he works at a university, he's a professor, but really he was kind of always his own boss. He had a amalgamation of things that he did. He like ran a 5,000 person event and he put out a quarterly magazine and he was a speaker and sort of he had the idea for this like historical center that he wanted to start. So he got it endowed in his name and now he runs that. He like made up a job for himself. So actually I think the example I got was more like you have freedom of flexibility and you get to call a lot of your own shots. And I didn't really realize that till I got to New York and started dating in my early twenties and realized Oh, if I marry someone who's in finance, I'm never going to see them. And if we had a family, they would never see our kids. Like, Mm. I didn't realize that what I had growing up was my dad was around a lot. He could say no to a speaking engagement to make sure to be at all eight performances of, you know, my musical at school. Yeah. What uh, what did he teach at Pepperdine? Um, Religion. Really? Yeah. And what did you study? I... Changed my major like eight times. Nice. <laughs> and I ended up with theater and English okay. because I was dating a guy at the time who wanted to be a youth pastor in Texas and he loved his theater teacher. So I was like, I'll be a theater teacher to high school students in Texas. 
And then we broke up and I got this degree and I was like, I don't like high school students and I don't like Texas. Like, I'm not sure why I thought that this was a good idea. This is not what I want to do with my life. Um, but I realized in hindsight that what I was always struggling with in school was I love theater and I want to be on stage and I want to perform, but I didn't believe that was an actual career for me. And I also want like a corner office, pencil skirt, high heels, like this businessy thing. And now that I'm doing what I'm doing, I'm like, oh, I just always wanted to be a creative entrepreneur. That just wasn't a thing back then. Like that you kind of had to pick more. Were you a creative or were you in business? And I didn't really see modeled that intersection. But I think I use that example a lot as a great reminder. Of, I hear from so many people are trying to figure out what it is that they want to do. What are they passionate about? What should they be doing? I think a lot of times there are those hints of actually you love this and this. It just was another decade before you were like, oh, wait, those two things could go together and I could do this. Yeah. I have no idea what a pencil skirt is, but it, does, oh, it doesn't sound like... Oh, it's like a tight, narrow, <laughs> you know, just like what a powerful a woman in a, yeah, I got an you. office would wear. Yeah. Um, so you, you, ended up, you ended up doing Broadway. I did a Broadway tour. For for how long? Yeah. Um, I was on tour for about a year and a half with them. And then I booked the Radio City Rockettes as a singer. Wow. And then I went on tour with them for four or five more seasons. Wow. The Rockettes. How much yeah. fun was that? It was it was really fun. Yeah. <laughs> classic. Um, yes. Classic Americana. So I heard you say in a previous interview um, to your previous point of having two things mesh that mm -hmm. might not on the surface yeah. feel like they go together. Uh, you've gotten feedback that some of your businesses don't seem to be super jointed, but mm -hmm. you, you're a believer in having this umbrella business where like, Hey, yeah. you know what? actually things can work together. Can you talk mm -hmm. about that a little bit? Yeah. So I call it the umbrella brand where I think like, as long as you have a story of how things go together, yep. because I think there's so many people these days that are multi-passionate. And mm -hmm. when I first started out, I, I called it like being a peacock where the, when I, when I had this aha of, I think I want to be this thing called an entrepreneur that I thought was like tech guys and computers. Cause that was eight years ago, which like Instagram wasn't really a thing. Like I just think it's changed so much in the last few years that we're now so inundated visually with it. Mm -hmm. But I genuinely remember being like, I think an entrepreneur might be like, and I wasn't thinking, Oh, there's all these women that I follow online that do this. Um, and so I think that, what hit me at that time was, oh, my dad had all these different things that he did. The reality shows that I liked watching at the time that were like Bethany Frankel, who was a real housewife, or like Rachel Zoe, who was a celebrity stylist. They were like, they were doing all these different things versus you're a doctor, you're a lawyer. Like most people in life have one thing that they do. And so I think a lot of people who are entrepreneurial, that's part of what they feel is, well, I love DIY stuff. And I also really love holistic nutrition. And then, you know, I'm interested in this and that. Right. Excuse me. And I think that it's, if, if you, they can be the same story. So for me, it's, I help people have more joy and less overwhelm in their style, business and life. And it's really my teaching approach that is about, well, how can you have more joy in your business? Like hustle sounds exhausting to me. 
even the phrase hard work doesn't really sound like what I want to sign up for. Like, not that I don't want to work hard, but if that's really the message is just like drive, 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 like, I feel tired. So that doesn't feel joyful. Or when it comes to your style, like first off being like, what really brings you joy? Like before we talk about what you should or shouldn't wear, it's just, is it something that it feels, you feel good in? And also the less overwhelmed side of how can we simplify business? How can we be more essentialists? How can we not be trying to do 82 things, which takes a lot of wisdom maturity to do. And the same thing on style. How can we organize our closet and understand some foundational principles so that you aren't just, you know, the average woman is just like staring at her packed closet every day, feeling like she has nothing to wear because of that sense of overwhelm of like, I just don't know where to begin. I don't even know what I'm looking for. So I think it's that teaching style that then allows me to, to, to have that umbrella brand. But if you were like, oh, I, you know, raise chickens and I also do like natural births and then I'm a graphic designer. And like, once you get to that, people are like, I don't really want someone to deliver my baby who's also like a part-time graphic designer and part-time raising chickens. Like I really like, you know, full-time be delivering babies. Right. That's where it starts to get like, I, now my, like my, my respect is kind of going down for you. You seem less of an expert. You feel it seem like you're grasping like everything but the kitchen sink versus Oh, I just, I understand, you know, how to do this in a couple different ways. I really like how you said that. By the way, watching your live streams, I don't think I've seen someone do a live stream better than you have. You're really good at them, Hillary. Thank you. Very, like 20 minutes straight of (laughs) no interruptions and it's solid teaching points back to back to back. It's been a while since you've done one on YouTube, Mm -hmm. so I'm a little disappointed, but (laughs) would love to see it back. Uh, I I do feel like, especially from outside forces, when you're listening to that outside feedback, there's a lot of discouragement of like, Andrew, what are you doing? Like, this doesn't match up with that. Like, like, choose one and like stick to it. And I've, especially in all these motivational entrepreneur speakers, they're like, you know, you got to ride or die with one thing and that's how you, that's how you become successful. But it's a little, I'm kind of a plan B guy myself. I'm not all in on one yeah. thing. And I feel like a lot of people are in that position where it's like, hey, I might have multiple interests and being able to tell the story where it brings them all together yeah. is a really, really good point. Well, and I also like, think there is wisdom and value when you're first starting out of forcing yourself to focus on one. Sure. Because then that expertise allows you to water waterfall over. So yes. in my case, I remember working with a business coach who said, you know, look at these other people in our industry. Like so and so was the Facebook ads person. So and so was the Pinterest person. Like this guy was the YouTube person. They really went all in to establish themselves as an expert one place. And mm. then they had the authority to just be a business expert, to just be a marketing expert. And so I ended up, I had a Instagram course on how to grow your Instagram for business that I ended up really doubling down on and doing just that for a few years. And I think it's really important to know because usually people get into this because there's something that they're passionate about and they like, they want to make a difference or something like that. But I'm eight years in and I'm still still not yet doing the thing that I'm passionate about, Hmm. that I know is my calling, that I know is what is really going to make a difference. And I think one of the reasons I've been successful and I'm still here is because I had the maturity to be like, 
on my tombstone, it's not going to say like, she had a lot of Instagram followers or like she helped people grow their Instagram. Like that's not the thing, but I've been willing to do that for a period of time. And it is helping people. It's helping people grow their businesses and all of that. But it's also building up the foundation of a company that then can go and write books and speak and teach on the style side to women. Like my heart is to write a book in part because I want it to be in a library for someone that can't afford it in like a women's prison Mm -hmm. for someone that is trying to restart their life. Like those women are not going to buy a hundred dollar, three hundred dollar, thousand dollar course for me, but they'll write a book. But in order to get to that point, I need to have this I love Foundation. that. I love that. I have a, I have a friend who's a, who is a dancer, wanted to be a, a musician and he quit his dancing career, um, in order to start his music. And I was like, Hey, don't you think like you could, he was a well-known dancer. Don't you think you could maybe dance to some of your songs and like kind of nurture your, yeah. nurture your dancing while still, uh, building that foundation for your music? Yeah. He's like, no, I don't want to do that. Like, I'm just going to go all in, but having the, Having the wisdom and the, uh, I think, sh- uh, strategy to build a foundation to ultimately get to your end goal is, is really good. Can you talk to us about the transition out of Broadway into entrepreneurship? Yeah. I mean, I love your I love your title of redirected because I do think it is so fascinating. I think we one, everyone has had that in their life. They may not have had it in this epic scale of like huge career to huge career. Right. But we all have those moments where you're like, that relationship ended, that miscarriage happened, mm-hmm. that like whatever it is, and that so changed things. I guess I should say miscarriage is a bad example because it's something that maybe just sort of like happens to you. But you can look back and see what were the breadcrumbs that led up to this. And so and you don't necessarily see it happening at the time. I would imagine for some people, they're like, I have clearly decided to retire from this thing. Right. And change. And I think a lot more of us, it's a like subtle, I woke up in a couple years or a year down the road and was like, oh, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And that was more my story. I just, I wasn't trying to retire. I couldn't quite figure out what I wanted to do in theater. I always thought I would be a professor and I would go back and get my master's and teach at university. And then the recession happened. And I distinctly remember one day watching Michelle Obama on the Today Show. She was fielding questions from people that were like, what if your, what if your industry has gone away? You know, different people that had lost their jobs and like we were just moving manufacturing jobs. Like that job wasn't going to come back after mm-hmm. 2008. And she was like, you might need to get retrained in something else and accept that that thing isn't coming back. And I think just with what was happening with the recession, I kind of thought what I feel ethical about telling students they should be getting a theater degree like because I so often as a successful performer have wished that I'd majored in marketing or PR and I had the option to be like maybe I just go get a real job for a year but instead I was like I have no resume to speak of like I can go be a sales girl at anthropology but I can't get a real job at this point it feels like and so I kind of started thinking like I don't know if I really think that that's what I want to do. I feel like is, is a dean of a going to want to hire me if I'm like, I really think all our students should be double majoring in something else. Um, so I kind of was like, I'm not sure what I want to do with this. I'm kind of looking for the next thing. Um, and I had been, I decided for a season. So I didn't book Rockettes for the first time in a lot of years. And I remember when I didn't book it that 
it was interesting all of my friends that weren't religious that were in the show saying, God has to have some plan for you. And I thought it was so interesting that what I realized they were doing was saying it themselves. Like if they couldn't figure out why I didn't get rehired, then it shook them of like, okay, well, what if next year it's me? Interesting. I've got to believe it's because you're going to be in the city and you're going to book your first Broadway show. And I think I just, I had a friend at the time who'd had a baby that was born special needs that was in the NICU for a year. And I sort of thinking like, if I can't explain why God would create this baby without a diaphragm that like ends up causing all these like organs to drown or if I can't explain why like God would create baby eye without a diaphragm and I'm at peace with that of like, those are questions we're never going to know. Then I got to be at peace with God. Why wasn't I blessed with a fifth year of like an amazing plum job that 1% of people are going to get to do. And so I just was like, I, but I was like, I can't cater anymore. Like I can't, that's what I would do on the side. And I just hated it so much. I was like, I'll just get a desk job for the winter and just like be here. But because of that, I was able to start watching, um, following style blogs, which is not something I ever had time to do when I was auditioning and working a million jobs. So I was watching all, looking at all of these style bloggers and I'd like send them to my friends and be like, isn't she so cute? And they'd be like, oh, she reminds me of you. And just like little seeds being planted. And then I was like, I just can't, I can't keep doing this soul sucking job. I literally was in the payroll and human resources department of a Upper East Side real estate company organizing their filing cabinets. Like sounds exhilarating. Sounds I just thrilling. was like this like this can't be what I'm supposed to do with my life. Like <laughs> yeah. they offered me a full-time job. It had health insurance. And I remember I was on the phone with my mom, like outside a nail salon, like crying, being like, I, they offered me this job. My mom's like, health insurance? Like, hallelujah. And I'm like, this isn't what I'm supposed to do with Um, and so I was like, I just had I sent an email to a couple of girlfriends that said, prayer for what the hell I'm doing with my life. And I was like, I think I need a new thing to be when I grow up, and I'm taking suggestions. And all of them replied something having to do with style, like you should be a buyer or you should help women organize their closets or shop on a budget. And prior to this, I was never in my mind, the stylish girl. Like I didn't read Vogue. I didn't, I was just good at shopping on a budget because I had no money as an actor. So like I could go into Forever 21 and put something together and people would be like, that's so cute. I'm like, oh, thanks. It was from Target. I'm like, really? I can never find stuff like that there. Like, so I was like, maybe I'll start a side business helping people with that. Um, and I'll put acting on hold for a year. So I'll take it because I knew I had started, tried to start a nonprofit years before and helping like taking arts to an orphanage in Nigeria that my friend was running. And I realized, oh, you can't do three things. You can't have your number one passion of performing mm-hmm. a day job to pay the rent and have this nonprofit. And I just felt horribly guilty all the time that I didn't have enough time for the nonprofit. So because of that failure, I had the wisdom a couple years later to be like, oh, I can't work a day job and audition and try to get this styling thing. The day job is not negotiable, so I've got to put auditioning on hold for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then six months in, I got a um, cast on a style as the host of a style show on Hearst Media, which uh, was one audition. The one audition I went on because the woman who sat next to me at my temp job was an agent and booked that wow. and was like, okay, I think this is, I think these two things are going to converge. And then never went back and realized a while later, like, oh, I guess I retired. <laughs> wow. 
Is it true you started uh, your company while on unemployment insurance? Is that right? I mean, um, yeah. So I took one more performing job over the summer in part because I knew then I could collect unemployment from that. And I worked one last. I was a cocktail waitress at the U.S. Open tennis tournament. Mm -hmm. Um, Like front row seat to every single match. You've made an incredible love of tennis. But the most miserable job. Like... 16, 18 hour days on your feet, sweaty industrial kitchen, extra large, like giant polyester polo shirt. Like just like, you know, just like no one's looking, everyone's looking at you being like, that person is not educated. That person is not talented. That person is lower class. Like I was very aware, especially because I'm in these suites with very wealthy people. And being treated very poorly, specifically by women, which was like a really interesting thing to realize like the men would still be kind, but how often it was like a woman who I think was trying to like exert her power in that situation. Like maybe she's just gotten this job or this is an important client. So she's really kind of trying to be in control. And so I just felt so small and you're not sleeping. I literally slept on the floor on a futon mattress of a girl I met on Craigslist who lived by the stadium so that I didn't have to like commute back and forth oh so I could gosh. get another hour or two of sleep. So I hated that job, but I made $2,000 cash in two weeks. And that was so much money to me at the time that I was like between that and unemployment, which was like 400 something dollars a week. I was like, I can, I can last four months with mm. like trying to get this up and running. Um, And so, again, just looking at all of those little tiny things of like, oh, you had the failed nonprofit. Oh, being at the desk job gave you put this idea of sort of styling on your radar and put you next to the person who was the agent. And those things that at the time you're just like, oh, I'm a failure that I had this idea that didn't work or this job is so pathetic. Um, But that ultimately, like those things all led in the right time. Mm hmm to something better one thing i really respect you doing is when you're working that payroll job realizing that i don't want to do this and then taking maybe the only step that you knew how to take and Mm -hmm. asking other people like what should i do like the self-awareness of i don't want to do this yes and then the wisdom and courage i guess maybe to seek out advice yeah do you have any other advice for people that because i think you're like an awesome example of someone who has made multiple pivots Mm -hmm. um successfully so what advice do you have for someone who might be looking to do that themselves yeah i mean i think one of the biggest things because i hear from so many people now who want to be starting a business who are fearful of starting a business and truly the biggest thing is i just actually took action like within it was February 1, 2011. I have the email that I sent to my best friend where I was like, I think I'm meant to be an entrepreneur. I just read this blog post. Like it's all clicking. And within a couple of weeks, I had decided on a name for my company. I got me URL. I had um, started doing Google research on like Brooklyn personal stylists and found this mom's forum of like moms talking about like, where do you find a stylist? And half of them were like, just go to Barney's and they give you one for free. And the other half were like, I don't really shop at Saks Fifth Avenue. I meant like the clothes I have from J. Crew. Like what, you know? And so I just chimed in and was like, hey, I'm a new stylist. I don't have my website up yet, but I've nannied for other moms in the community as references. And within 24 hours, I had two emails of people booking me. 
And it was like, I think so many people would be like, but I don't have a website. I can't email them, but mm-hmm. I don't have any experience. I can't email them. And, um, we, I did one photo shoot. I knew that was all I needed was like to get up a website, figure out a website. It took a lot of tears, but like I did figure out how to do it on my own. So truly, like I just was really swiftly taking action. And there was a girl at the same temp job that when I, she saw me one day and was like, Oh, do you like style blogs? Like, I like style blogs. She was like, I'm starting a style blog. And I was like, Oh, really? Like what, you know, what's, what's called? Or like when you study it, she's like, Oh, my cousin's working on the logo. The entire six months I was there, her cousin was working on the logo. And I ran into a colleague a couple years later who was like, Yeah, she is still there. She oh, still man. does not have that style blog. And that just like guts me because she's telling herself that she's going to do this thing, but she's not doing this thing. (laughs) But I love, like, I share so many of the little tiny details in my story because I think it's important to realize, like, I didn't know that I was starting a multi-million dollar company. I didn't realize that I was, like, setting women's, you know, women free in their beauty. I just, like, didn't want to cater anymore. (laughs) And I didn't even know what an entrepreneur was. I just was like, let me see if I can figure this thing out on the side. But I think people see it now and are like, see, I have to have a whole thing and I, I have to know what my purpose is and I have to know how to manage people. And I mean, I didn't, I didn't know any of that. I was like too yeah. naive to know what I was getting into and it was a blessing. I feel like the alternative to that discouragement of like, oh, I can't do this. I don't have my website, whatever, is maybe something that's becoming more popular with with my peers is these moms reaching out the first two bookings that you had and like trying to put on this front of, Oh, I'm an expert. And here's why you should trust. Was there any temptation for you to do that? To like put on this show of you knowing more than you did. It sounded like you were very humble and said, I don't have my website. I'm new. Yeah. Try me out. Like as opposed to. And I think too, it was like, it was, again, it's so funny because eight years does not sound that long ago, but really thinking back and like it was a different thing where women weren't as used to the idea, oh, there's people out there that are just personal stylists for the yeah. real woman that could do this thing. But also I think living in New York City, you do like, I would back in the day, you'd go on Craigslist for odd jobs or finding random things mm-hmm. like that. So um, I think that idea was just a little bit like, I don't know, let's bring this girl in and see. And of the two, they were so different. The one woman lived in a five-story mansion right across from the Metropolitan Museum of Art. You took an elevator up to her bedroom and she clearly just wanted someone to organize her closet. She wasn't, she didn't want to try anything on. She didn't want to talk about principles. I just sat in her closet and organized 25 identical gray cashmere cardigans like into, just made it look prettier. And I was like, this is not what I want to do. Yeah. Like I listened to like a entrepreneur, you know, webinar the whole time. It was like multitasking, but I was like, this isn't what I want to do. The other woman was a mom in New Jersey. She picked me up from the train. She was packing for a work trip that she was going on for five days. And she just wanted to know like what she was going to wear every day. She bought some new clothes. She's trying to decide what was she going to take? What was she going to return? And it was so fun. Uh-huh. 
I was bringing, like, she was like, oh my gosh, yes, this makes sense. Oh my gosh, I love this. I would never thought to put this together. And um, we found out we were in the same sorority. And she was so nice, so fun. When I went to, she went to like write me a check at the end. And she was like, how much is it again? And, and I, I told her and she was like, that's all? She was like, you need to charge more. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is, this is who I thought I was serving. And I'm being reminded, this is who I want to serve. Wow. And it's like... The mom of two who like picks some stuff up at J. Crew and Old Navy and just wants to have more joy and less overwhelm in going to this work trip mm. for a few days and wants that help with it. Let's take a break and hear from our sponsors. Are you doing everything right for your health today, but not planning for the what ifs of tomorrow? It's time you do. The problem is the health conscious have overpaid and subsidized those who are less health conscious. It's not a conspiracy. It's just how life insurance works. Introducing Health IQ. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates for people like you on their life insurance. If you're a runner or a cyclist, or if you're in a CrossFit like me, maybe you're a committed weekend warrior or a vegetarian or vegan, then you deserve to be rewarded for your hard work with more affordable life insurance rates. Health IQ can save you up to 41% because physically active people have significantly lower risk for heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. But these savings are exclusive to Health IQ. You won't find them anywhere else, and you must qualify to get a special rate. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com forward slash redirected to take the proprietary Health IQ quiz. Depending upon your score as well as other related qualifying factors, you can save up to 41% on your life insurance premiums compared to other providers. Again, that's healthiq.com slash redirected. Let them know I sent you and start the process with the Health IQ quiz. There's no commitment, and you'll learn even more about potential opportunities to be rewarded for your commitment to living healthy. One more time, that's healthiq.com forward slash redirected. Living with chronic pain is the worst. After all those years of football, I can speak from personal experience. It's more than a feeling of discomfort. It can affect your whole life. Many of you guys probably have some type of pain that has prevented you from relaxing or sleeping or stopped you from exercising. I've been there, trust me. So I decided to turn to CryoFreeze CBD Roll-On developed by Omax Health. This non-prescription, triple-action pain relief roll-on is specially formulated to block pain receptors, reduce inflammation, and improve muscle and joint flexibility. This 100% natural CBD-powered remedy works its magic within 10 minutes of application, and relief lasts up to 8 hours. Now personally, this has been a game-changer for me. My muscles feel instant relief like they've never felt before. Omax Health is offering 20% off a full bottle of cryo-free CBD pain relief roll-on, plus free shipping. This discount also applies towards any product site-wide. Just go to omaxhealth.com today and enter code redirected. That's O-M-A-X-Health.com and enter code redirected to get 20% off cryo-freeze and site-wide. New and exciting opportunities are coming your way. You just have to be ready for them. And it all starts with earning your master's degree at Ashford University. Make this the year you advance your career by earning your master's degree. Get started today at Ashford University. I got my master's degree back in 2015, and I'm so glad that I did. Nothing feels better than taking your own career into your hands and furthering your education. I got a degree in general management and can honestly say it's been one of the best decisions I've ever made. And Ashford University's online master's degree program allows you to learn at your own pace. You can study wherever you're the most comfortable learning. Their six-week-long courses allow you to take one course at a time, and the GRE, GMAT, and other standardized test scores 
are not required for enrolling at Ashford University, which makes enrollment super easy. It's also fully accredited. Ashford University is accredited by the WASC Senior College and University Commission. Get ready to grab new opportunities. Start your master's degree today. Enroll now by going to ashford.edu east. That's ashford.edu east to start your master's degree today. ashford.edu east. Did you know that many conventional deodorants contain aluminum, which forms a plug in your sweat glands to keep you from sweating? Yikes. Native deodorant is made without aluminum, so you can feel better about what you're putting on your body. Native only uses ingredients you know and will keep you smelling and feeling fresh all day long. I've personally tried about a million different deodorants and Native is the only one that truly works for me. They have over 10 amazing scents for you to try and they offer products for women and teens as well so there's something for everyone. And there's free shipping and 30 day free returns and exchanges in the US on every order. My favorite scent is a eucalyptus and mint and Sean appreciates the smell as opposed to the sweat she usually smells after a workout. I love how smooth the texture is, how clean and fresh it feels when I have it on, and the fact that it keeps me smelling good even after a workout. So for 20% off your first purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com and use promo code EAST during checkout. Again, for 20% off your first purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com and use promo code EAST during checkout. Let's get back to it. That's a great story. I uh, in one of your videos, you say you said that nothing breaks your heart as much as when you hear when you're standing in a closet and you hear beautiful women shaming themselves. Yeah. What is it about style and fashion that you love so much? I mean, again, I didn't know that I loved it. Like I was not into clothes. I wasn't reading Vogue or really coming from this like fashion has this power. I truly was like, I'm good at chopping on a budget <laughs> and I'm good at organizing a closet. And it wasn't until I got into those first few settings and realized everyone cries. Hmm. Like everyone cries. This is such a vulnerable thing. And everyone has, like I did four beta clients of friends of mine where I was like, let me test out what I want to do with, with you girls. And every one of them, these are women I had known for years at church every one of them pointed out something about their body that I had never noticed. Like they'd be like, well, you know, like I just, I'm a very wide girl. I was like, huh? Like, she's like, well, yeah, just like my hips are really wide. I'm like, okay. I mean, just for the record, it has never occurred to me that you were a wide girl. Like you just look like a very normal size medium to me. And she was like, oh, okay. And I'm just, I'm not thinking, all right, so we've got a very extreme hip situation here that we've got to balance out. But in her mind, I call it the 150% mirror that I feel like, it's these areas of our body that they're not, we're not delusional, but we think that it is way more noticeable than it is. And this like tiny petite girl thinks that her arms are so heavy compared to the rest of her body. And no, she doesn't have like banging Michelle Obama arms. <laughs> like, you know, she's not like going to the gym or whatever, but she doesn't have like a lot of muscles home. But it never occurred to me to be like, yeah, well, I mean, my friend has those really large arms. Like she was just a tiny size zero girl overall, but everything she put on, she looked at, well, how does my arm look at it? Hmm. And yet when you or I look at it, we look at the whole person, like male or female, whatever, you just see someone and your eye doesn't go right to that. I would imagine maybe as an athlete, it might be similar of just like, you're looking like you have something that you're like, oh, like 
thighs are really the thing I look at because like that's where your power comes from, you know, as a player or something. So you're like, that's what you're noticing on other guys is like their thighs, you're noticing your thighs, but some other guys really focused on like arms. And so he never, he like went straight to your arm. And so when that's your thing, you notice it on everyone else. If you're obsessed with your thigh gap, you're looking at everybody else's thigh gap. Mm-hmm. And I remember I had a girlfriend one time mention something about a thigh gap and I realized it's literally never occurred to me that my thighs touch. Like it genuinely had it. And I realized, oh, that's her thing. She is obsessed with noticing which women's thighs touch. My thing is my stomach. So that's what I notice on everyone else. And it just, it was so, um, it was so equalizing because I was helping women that had very little money and were really on a tight budget and women that lived in beautiful, gorgeous homes that at the time felt like a whole other world to me. And were successful and, you know, had handsome husbands and great kids and like all the things and yet are in their closet crying. And sometimes it was just a, how am I 45 and no one has ever told me this before? Hmm. Like there was just such a sense of like, I have suffered for so many years and you literally just taught, just taught me about my waist and belts. And like, this is so, it's almost like this is so Silly. It's so simple. It is silly. How did I get to this point? And I didn't know this stuff. And you're like, well, it's just because no one's the only people explaining it are the people in magazines, but they're trying to do it in this quippy industry language that real women are like, I didn't really understand that. And then I'm just going to turn the page because I don't want to be like, what do you mean use leopard like a neutral? I don't, I don't really know what to do with that. Like, because no one's explaining like, oh, what I mean is, the colors in leopard print are just brown and black. So actually anything you wear with brown or black, you could wear with that. But that's there. That was a pro tip right there. <laughs> that was a pro tip. <laughs> I, uh, I try not to check out other guys' styles too often. <laughs> but I wonder. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, is that a cultural thing? Is that something specific to Western culture? This like obsessiveness with image or have you? I, I think to me, there's a difference in obsession in image and the inherent desire to feel beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I think for men, the counterpoint would be that our, you know, we're in a success-driven Western culture, but there is something inherent in a man that wants to be strong and wants to be respected. And I think that we could go to first world countries and you would still find mm-hmm. that women want to be found beautiful and men want to be found strong and capable. And yes, that gets amplified in the Western world of, you know, plastic surgery or price tags or um, money or cars or whatever. But I think it's the core is what is so compelling to me. There was a story years ago. um, There's an organization called Charity Water that builds wells and their mission is to bring clean water all over the world. And I heard their founder, Scott, telling a story about their team going back to a city in a little village in Africa here. And I can work for my family now because I don't have to walk for water. And my daughter can go to school now. Like, but instead what she says is, I feel beautiful. They're like, how, how did the well make you feel beautiful? And she said, well, as a wife and a mom, you only had so much water. And so you're trying to care for everyone else first and cook and clean. And so there was never any water left for me. And now, I can wash my face. I can wash my hair. I can wash my clothes. Like, I feel beautiful. I feel like crazy. Tear up every single time I talk about it. Because I just like was just like weeping watching this, being like, that's that's it. Like that's what I'm doing. Is that that is inherent at every level. And this 
woman has so much less than I do or these traditional women that I'm helping. But like that core is why it matters. And I actually think we have a thing in Western culture where we somewhat, we have some extremes where it's like tons of plastic surgery and all that. That's not my girl. Like that's just not who I, I comes to me. I think it tends to be more so I'm going to downplay it. Like I shouldn't be vain. I shouldn't care about my appearance. I just, I just want to be seen as a good mom and I just want to be seen as modest. And like, I, I shouldn't be focused on those things. And I think you know, we're, we're in an era of like so much more like body positivity and so much more acceptance in that way. That is amazing. But I also think there's that balance of like that that doesn't mean I don't care about being beautiful. It's like, no, it's just whatever that means to me, but it doesn't have to be a certain weight or it doesn't have to be a certain trend or clothes or whatever, Mm -hmm. but that that actually is universal and can get warped when we make it too much about vanity, but also when we try to be like, well, I, I probably shouldn't care about that. That shouldn't matter. Yeah. That's really powerful what you just shared. Thank you. I it reminds me of the Simon Sinek's book, Start with Why, mm. of like me hearing about a fashion stylist. I'm like, that seems like it's the top of um Maslow's yep. hierarchy of yep. needs, totally. right? Like yes. fashion. Perfect Who needs example. that? But when you relate it back to, hey, this is something that affects the core, it's like self-worth, mm-hmm. there's a lot of power in that. Yeah. So Thank you. Like Thank the, you for what you do. The, one of the things that's been really interesting is the men that are on our team at my company, hearing them reflect it back. Like there's a guy on my team that's like, I am such a better husband because I work for this company because I hear what the women share in our style group and I see my wife with totally different eyes. Like I better understand hmm. what she's going through and the way her, her mind works. Um, and so I think even within that, of that element of like, oh yeah, this is just, we all have these core desires as humans. They may be different for men and women, but in the same way that like, you know, like I'm a newlywed-ish and like the more that you learn about like, okay, like a man just, he wants to be respected and he wants to feel strong enough and, and all of those things. Like as you can better understand that, you can better love people well. And I think... I also, you know, am, am praying for the waterfall effect over of having more men that because their wives are reading my books or doing their teaching are better able to understand like how foundational it is to support that she wants to feel beautiful and that these things really do, mm. do matter. That's great. You seem to be all about balance in every aspect of your life. Yeah. Uh, I was listening to a, a video or a live stream where you said you were trying to embrace the mediocrity because when we're extreme in our business and you, you have this hard work mentality and I got to work 20 hours a day, you're sacrificing talking with your dad, as you said. Yes. What's the root of that and, and why is that so important to you? I I don't know in that like... It's just where I naturally find myself. Yeah. Like when I'm trying to figure out what is this new class? What is this new product? What is this problem I'm trying to solve? Ultimately, when it kind of clicks, then I'll look up and be like, oh, right. It was in the and. It's that I was trying to matter, you know, meet this and this. And then I just think for some reason that 
you know, maybe it's just my personality type that I'm more of a gray area person. I'm not as much black and white. And so it just seems for me that that's where everything falls is, um, again, like that, that joy and over, like there is within style, there is art and there is science. So there are principles and, you know, rules, so to speak, that are going to help you. And everyone's body is totally different. And everyone's personality is totally different and it has to be something that yeah. that brings you joy um and i think that we tend there are a lot of messages that are very extreme of this is the way to do things or it needs to be all hustle or you know we just we have very full lives more so than any other right. generation before us so i think for me it also is trying to find that balance like one of my sort of life mottos is elegant excellence. I have like a course called that and a mastermind called that. It's a kind of my approach within business of that's how I want things to feel. I want to be excellent, exceptional, extraordinary, like, you know, less than 2% of female owned businesses in the U S uh, do over a million dollars in revenue. Like wow. I am in that 2% and I am proud to be that 2% and I want to grow up in that 2%. Like I want to be excellent in that way, but I don't want to be a hustler. I want to like not have my husband be like, you're working all the time. You're always stressed out. I want to not feel like I don't have time to call my parents. I want to not feel like I don't have time for my friends. But a lot of the messages we get are these people that are like, their lives would make for good reality TV shows. And that's why we're seeing them. And being like, I want a life that would make for really boring reality TV. Right. (laughs) And to be in, you know, the top 2% of what I'm doing. Coming from the football world in collegiate and the pros, there's this mentality where like the coaches, if you're a football coach, like it's well known that you sleep at the office six nights a week and you don't see your family uh, unless it's on like game days. And there was always like this kind of forced respect of like, wow, this guy's really doing what it takes to, you know, bring success to the team where... I kind of felt like an outlier to that mentality because I was like, first of all, that's not cool that you're not seeing your family. Second of all, I feel like from a sustainability standpoint, and you talk about this too, that you're going to burn out or something's going to crash and burn yeah, and it's not going to end well. So in order for you to to maintain success as a football coach, maybe be good for you to work a little less right now, you know? Anyway, so it's, I, that resonated with me a ton when you were talking about balance because I think it's important. Right. And I think that is, it is challenging when in your field, you're like, that's the only example you're seeing, especially like, you know, for better or worse with you having played on a lot of teams in the NFL, you got to see (laughs) behind the scenes of a lot of teams. So you knew like, oh, this isn't just one person. It really is the way it works. And I think I saw that in entrepreneurship to an extent that, it just felt like there was so much hustle. And then I saw multiple women that shared a rock bottom they hit. And then they started to do it more balanced. Mm-hmm. Like they were like, we both had affairs and we were about to get divorced. Or my husband turned when he walked in the door and said, I don't think I can do this anymore. And like, and I just had the awareness of, I don't want to wait until I have my rock bottom story to then decide it. And so I sort of started being like, I'm going to try to, figure out some better way now. I don't even quite know what I'm looking for, but I'm, and it's, I still am far from it, 
but really trying to chase that without having been the story that was like, I ended up in the hospital for exhaustion. I, you know, there's yeah. so many of those. Yeah. And realizing like, I didn't, I didn't want that. Yeah. You talk about this anti-hustle entrepreneurship. What's that about? Yeah. I mean, I think it's that same idea that, and I'll preface it by saying it is so hard. Like the reason it's so hard is because creative people have a million ideas. Mm -hmm. And so if you're like, here's like, I got all these YouTube video things I could do. And I got all these people I could put on my podcast. And then we could do this and we could work with this brand. And what if we did like a home redesign? And then what if we did like this? And if we, if we got a sponsor, we could travel. And then like, you have so many ideas and that that is the challenge is it's having, it's like, I call it the creative candy shop. It's like, if you're five and you walk into Willy Wonka and they're like, have whatever you want. You're just like shoveling everything into your mouth. And then you're going to like, have an upset stomach, you're probably going to vomit later. You're going to be in sugar shock. Like you're not going to be happy. You're going to be super lethargic. Yeah. So it takes such wisdom to be like, I am standing in a Willy Wonka room of ideas and I could make products and services and I could be on every social media platform and I could get more followers. And I could do more brands and I could more like, and to be like, but what is, what are the two things that I want the most? Like yeah. the difference that when your mom is like, you can choose one, which candy do you want? But as the entrepreneur, you have to do that for yourself. And I think that is so hard. And you don't even realize that you were doing it a lot of times. And you're like, I didn't realize how big this thing would become. Like, I was thinking about it because I knew that um, that we were talking. And so I've been thinking how one of the challenges as an entrepreneur is that if you are... If you're Sean and you are a gymnast, you are in the gym where everybody else is training and you can see the hard work that everybody's doing. If you're the next little girl coming up and you are in Simone Biles' gym, you have seen her fall and fall and fall and fall. You see how long she's in the gym for. You've seen it. You also have a coach who's done this before and who can give you an appropriate expectation of here's about how much time we're talking before we go from a single backflip to a double backflip from to a double twisting backflip. I don't know the things I'm just making them up, but like <laughs> whatever the things are, but like, whereas in entrepreneurship, we see the double twisting backflip landing on the beam. It's just a website. And we're like, I want a really pretty website like that. I think I'll do that. I think mm -hmm. let's, let's do that. I'm going to launch that next month. And you're like, oh, no, that was someone who had 10 people. That cost $30,000. They worked full time on that for eight months. But you just see that and think you feel shame about your own website. And then you're like, that's what I want next. That's going to be my next example. Mm -hmm. And I think that is like a gift that you guys have given me in coming on this podcast is this new vision just in this last week of that is one of the most challenging parts of entrepreneurship is we don't see the work. It's behind the scenes. We're all virtual. We're all mm -hmm. like in our own little home podcast studios and nobody is seeing like all the tech setup that this takes. So somebody else is like, you know what? I want to have a home home studio like Andrew. I'm just, I'm just going to do it in my basement. And they get in there and they're like, why doesn't it sound like his? Why doesn't it look like his? And they just don't know everything that it took and that in so many other fields we know you go to medical school for seven years or yeah. we know that you know you, you 
see the other people in the field. You know how long they're there for. You know how much time they're spending in the gym. And I think that that part is really challenging in that anti-hustle because you don't know how unrealistic you're being hmm. by thinking, here's my 10 goals for the year. And I we just created a journal off of um, sort of my like goal setting and vision casting system down to like monthly and weekly and daily priorities and how do we decide between these things and how do we bring mindset into it. And I'm really proud of it. And it's going to help a lot of people. And it's not what I was supposed to be doing with the last six months of my life. Like, I was supposed to be writing a book. And if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, that that's really going to suck that that is out in the world, which I am proud of. But I know that the book is, like, the, where the real impact is. And I've been really wrestling the last few months and, and few weeks with, like, how did we end up here? Like, how did I end up so off course? I literally don't even remember the conversation I had with my team where I was like, maybe we'll throw the journal in with the mastermind. Like, obviously we had that conversation, but it what it was so just there with everything else. I don't even remember when I said it. And then it's become, I've been in a, such a pure season of hustle of like working nights and weekends for the first time in so long. Like, I am a newlywed. I don't have enough time with my husband. I'm stressing him out because I'm stressed out. The marriage is all about me because it's all about my stress. Like, and I'm like, shoot, I've been doing this for eight years and I teach this. How did I not know? And it's like, well, I've never watched someone else make a journal to realize, oh, first of all, I'm basically writing a book because my version of a journal isn't just going to be like, there's a page for every day. It's like, here's a 29-step in-depth complex system to like yeah. revolutionize your life because I can't do anything simple. And, oh, my team has never done a tangible physical product. That's a whole other ball game. That's a Shopify site instead of a lead pages site. We don't even know how to do that website. Oh, we have to deal with shipping charges or like um, sales tax in, in all 50 states. Oh, there's a plugin we were supposed to use for that. Oh, we didn't know that plugin. So now we haven't charged appropriate sales tax to everyone. Like that's a whole different thing. And oh, we ha- we're on a call. Like we're literally on a call with Thunder Mifflin. Like this guy, John. Dunder Mifflin? I mean, I'm just saying, like, we're on a, oh, we're on a call with a paper like, company. No, like, no, you're like, they're real? <laughs> <laughs> you can talk to Michael Scott? I mean, we're all in a paper company, but Andrew, it is, it was, it was like, me you not know, Thunder Mifflin. Like, it was like speaking to, do you guys, do you watch The Office? <laughs> yeah. It was like talking to Andy from The Office. Uh, like, real nice guy. <laughs> Speaks uh, very slowly. Doesn't really answer your question. Yeah. And so after two hours of like my New York team being like, we got to get answers to this. We still get off the phone. And we're like, we still don't really understand what he means by this kind of printing. We still don't understand why. Like, so there was just such a massive learning curve and realizing, oh yeah, we didn't like, and it's a partially, I want to beat myself up for like, how did I make this mistake again? And partially I want to be like, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know that it's a different, unless you have someone in your life who's like, oh girl, I did a, I've gone through 20 years of coaching snappers. Was that your position? Long snappers. Long yeah. snappers. That's good. That's Thank good. You. <laughs> uh, like, you, like there's so much wisdom there versus like, I don't know anyone who's ever done this or I, you know, I have a couple friends on the internet that are snappers other places, but I'm not seeing their practice. And mm-hmm. like, 
and, and no, none of them have like switched to this other position. So I can't ask anybody what that is like. Um, and so I think we end up making so much, so many more mistakes and then beating ourselves up for it being like, I'm, it must be me. Like I'm, I'm remedial. I'm not smart enough. I didn't work hard enough. Mm. Like I'm failing at this. And I just think there's so much of that behind the scenes that doesn't get talked about because either people don't want to seem like they're complaining or they're coaching business. And so they don't want to be like, I'm a hot mess. Hire me. Right. <laughs> so I kind of like get a, I'm like a weird hybrid because I know my callings over on the style side. So I don't care if I scare off entrepreneurs and you don't hire me on the business side. I don't care. Like I'm, I feel like I'm able to be more free because I'm like, this is like a side thing that I do helping entrepreneurs. My real thing is style. So I don't mind being like, guys, it's really hard. You might not want to. <laughs> like, yeah. I would rather be honest. Yeah. The journal sounds amazing. Thank you. Where can I get it? Um, you can pretty much find everything at our Instagram, which is at Hillary Rushford. All right. ElegantExcellence.com. Awesome. I'm curious, what, uh, what goals do you have now, Hillary? So I just came up recently, like maybe last year or so, with the, like my big goal is I want to set a million women free in their beauty through books, courses, and films. And I got that number, FYI, by Googling how many books had Rachel Hollis sold of her, like one of her books, just as a measure of like, it was 880,000. And I was like, okay, so the idea that there's a million women in America ish who are into personal development, like, okay, that's a, I'm not just like completely plucking a number out. And it's not about measuring it and being like, okay, we got there. But it has really helped me realize like, like our pastor called recently and asked us to host a small group. And it feels like the thing you're supposed to say yes to when you like go to a big church and your pastor personally calls you and asks you to do that. But I was able to be like, in my head, like, I know that I am called to a million women, not to 20 women. And that like most people are called to the 20 women. So I've got to believe that someone else is called to that. But this actually is my getting pulled off my calling with another piece of candy. Because you're like, well, isn't that the good thing to do? Isn't that being generous? Isn't that being hospitable? And so having that has really allowed me to make a little bit better decisions lately and trying to stay focused on that. And my other goal is to really just like have a really strong marriage and deep friendships um, as like the other balance to that. Congratulations on your wedding, by Thank the way. Thank you. That happened this summer? Was it June? Um, well, I don't do anything easy ever. <laughs> so I, um, we had two weddings. We okay. eloped and we had a family wedding. So right. they were in September and then February. Which do you count as your anniversary? We don't know yet. Oh my gosh. I'm stressed out. How, however, here's the thing. They were on the same date though. They were six months apart, but they were both on the 10th. So, so just I gonna created some like, symmetry. The 10th of every month? Is that the I plan? mean, I wouldn't be opposed, but um, <laughs> oh my. yeah, we, we, uh, we don't really know. We're, we're, I feel like we have to like be married for a couple years till we like figure out which one is. But also I, I'm not a gifts person. So I would just sort of be yeah. like, you know, We'll do fun things. Like this year, we like were in France in August, our anniversary is in September. And we we're like, ah, this is like our anniversary trip. Like, <laughs> we're like, this counts. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I'm, I'm curious if you were looking back, as you look back on your journey from uh, studying theater and almost doing 
small what was it small group uh at a church or youth group oh yes yeah to broadway to um the past eight years with your entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. if you were going to give the audience three takeaways of things that you've learned what Mm -hmm. would those be um i think one is you don't have to know the end to start like i know we have that wisdom of begin with the end in mind and i think there is wisdom in saying like let me really think through if this is a plausible business idea or whatever before I go down it. But I also think so much of my story is I had no idea that I was building this multi-million dollar company. And I think if I had, I would have been too intimidated to start because mm-hmm. I have no business background. I've not managed people. I had no idea what I was doing. So I think a lot of people get stuck on, well, I don't know how to do. Like I don't I believe that you can believe that God or the universe is going to do something without knowing how they're going to do it and without knowing exactly how it's going to unfold. Because I think we get tripped up in, but I don't know how to do that. And then people don't, don't start. So I would say start, even if you don't know the end in mind. Mm -hmm. Um, Remember that it is so much harder behind the scenes than what we see, unless you truly are in the gym on the field, really seeing other people alongside you, truly having a coach with all of those years of experience. There's so much behind the scenes that you don't see and um, that it is so much harder than you realize. It takes longer. It takes more money. It takes more people. And so a lot of your like failure, chaos, and stress is just from not having that realistically. So as much as you can get that, as much as you can, you know, have a coach, be in a mastermind, be in a community where you're hearing from people. Like, you know, you and I are both in masterminds in our real lives. We surround ourselves with those people is huge. And then the third thing, which we haven't really, um, hasn't really come up, but truly mental health and mindset for me is everything. I think that like my mental health matters more in my business than any strategy that I've learned. I think it is much more about my mindset with how I handle whether or not our Facebook ads are crashing than just my strategic understanding of Facebook ads and that I can get experts and I can delegate or strategy can change or the industry can can shift. But ultimately, my mindset and my mental health are going to show up in all of those things all across the board. I'm curious for you in football, how like I've always envisioned as a football fan that football, and I guess I would say sports in general, I just, football is my sport, is that there is so much mentally that goes into it. Like, you know, when they talk about icing the kicker, well, the whole point is they're just trying to be like, are you mentally strong enough to not get freaked out? Does that, am I right that that's a large component of the success? Yeah, no, 100%, especially in... um isolated positions like a kicker or mm. my position yeah. would somewhat be like that where you have eight plays a game versus 60 if you're on offense or defense mm. and it's really just about your performance which you're largely in control of yeah um it's as you get higher um in the ranks of going from high school to college college to pros it becomes almost 100% mental where mm. I could, I mean, I, I got signed almost a year ago after having not been in shoulder pads, uh, or a helmet for six months and I could go out there and play 
because it's all mental, right? And I, I had oh, almost been working on that yeah. more than my physical stance. So yes, it's true. Mm-hmm. And I think it's dealing with that, dealing with your Facebook ads crashing or dealing with getting ice as a kicker yeah. is such a, such a difficult thing to work through. And I don't know how you do it, but me, I did it through like distracting myself of, oh my gosh, if I just don't think about it, <laughs> then I can go out there and just like, it's, it's almost set us, don't overthink it, right? Yeah. Like don't take the athlete out of it is what we always used to say of you've, you've been doing this for eight years. Mm. It's different when you're talking Facebook ads, but yeah. your body's been trained. Don't have your mind mess up what your body already yeah. knows how to do. So, well, and I think there's an element in that with business, for example, of like, you know, for me saying, okay, you've, you've been successful for eight years. Like you've built what most people can build, cannot yeah. build. Therefore, you should have more confidence in your natural gut instinct, your ability to pivot, your ability to strategize. And I've really been challenging myself or feel like God has been challenging me on that in the last couple months of I'm actually not confident enough in myself, hmm. even though externally I would present as a confident person and I'm not deeply insecure on all of these levels, but realizing if I'm going to, oh, I should have known that. And oh, I don't like that sense of overwhelm is really about, I'm not confident enough that I can make the right decisions. I'm going to, my best is good enough. I'm going to be able to work hard enough, which yeah, is kind of, I've trained for this. I think hearing you say that and you, you're very vulnerable with what you share. So mm-hmm. that's appreciated. But relating it back to the woman in the closet who isn't um, proud of her arms. It's it's important, I think, for these women out here to hear you talk about all like mental health and how you've been helping other women, but it's still a journey for you in a different sense, right? Like you don't have that self-confidence that you're talking about. And But I I do think that that you reminded me of something that I talked about a long time and I've kind of been forgetting lately, which is that one of the reasons I'm so passionate about sharing vulnerably is because I realized how much it, how much more confident I grew in my own body in that first year of styling, because that it was through those women's vulnerability that I realized, oh my gosh, we all do this. Yeah. Oh wait, like if I'm not seeing them that way, they're not seeing me that way. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, they're focused on one area of their body, and for me, it's my stomach. Them is like I, without changing my weight or anything else, I felt so much more confident, mm. getting dressed, not being obsessed with certain parts of my body. Yeah, and I think that really was the catalyst for how vulnerably I've shared in other ways because I realize once you hear other people saying that. You realize, like, actually, I thought about it the other day. I was watching one of your, um, like, your Sean stories, and I, you were like, so, um, so you got pretty angry with me in the middle of the night the other night. <laughs> she, was like, she was like, I did. He was, you were like, do, uh, she was, she was like, why are you mad at me? He was like, you got eight hours of sleep. He was like, are you sorry about that now? Do you yeah. regret that? And she was like, no, it's still really unfair. You got eight hours of sleep. But I just thought, like, I so appreciate that in people that I follow where, like, I'm not a new mom, but my brother and sister laws had baby at the same time as you guys. And being like, okay, she's seen that. And she just snapped at her husband last night. And she might be having a moment of like, oh, I'm so, you know, I'm, I'm failing at this or whatever. And you hear someone else say it and you're like, oh, okay, maybe that's a normal sleep yeah. hormonal thing. Like maybe I'm not 
bad or failing, maybe this is normal. And I think ultimately like everything you learn in therapy is like the ego just wants to be normal. It's what we all want. And yet, because when we don't see that, we assume we're, we're the only ones that are struggling with this. Yeah. Um, one thing that's been relating it back to my wife who recently had a child, um, and also to you talking about the charity water uh, and your bigger why, your bigger purpose. It's been cool to see Sean. I hope she doesn't mind me sharing this, but who was a gymnast and has been in the public eye for a long time and has a lot of body uh, image issues as most, if not all women do. But as she has realized a bigger why or a bigger purpose in her life, i.e. raising a child, that has kind of subsided. She's been able to focus more on her bigger purpose than, um, I don't want to call it a, I don't want to call it a small issue because body image is not, but you redirect your focus on, Hey, this is actually more important. And it's a, it's a bigger, it's a higher priority than my arms not looking right in this dress. So especially I think when you have, when you have kids and I think especially when you have a daughter that, or when you were around, I have nieces, like when you're around young girls, you start to become much more aware of yeah. where do we start to pick this up? Where does this start to come in? What am I passing? Like one of the things that is so, why I'm so passionate about it is the women in our style course who will say like, my daughter is no, I'm realizing now yeah. how often I talk about being on a diet or feeling fat or, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how much my my daughter starts to notice and saying, you know, that she's saying those same things. So I think that also is so powerful. It's sort of like, I think the first step in anything is like healing ourselves and then we can help heal other people. So my message isn't like, let's all watch what we say to the girls around us. But I think once you do it for yourself, then you start to realize, and I would imagine with Sean having struggled that with that, I, I not in her head, but I would imagine that you would be like, okay, how do I protect this like perfect little baby girl from not feeling that? What yeah. are the messages that I want to mm-hmm. try to say to help her feel beautiful, whatever her body size, whatever people say, whatever, you know, all of that. Yeah. Um, it really is that trickle down effect. Yeah. Hillary, I got to say, I'll reiterate this. You are a really, really good speaker. You're a really good teacher and you have a lot of good things to say. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, I I did, you you said this, uh, in this interview and you said it, uh, in a previous video, but I loved the idea that you don't have to know, uh, how God is going to do something to Mm -hmm. ask him to do it. And I think that like really struck me. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, I am, Curious, can you still do a rock kick or is that? See, I wasn't one of the kickers. I was a singer. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Like, there's kickers and there's snappers, okay. like, there's kickers and there's singers. Okay. So it's just a different position on the team. Yeah, I'm sure you get asked yeah. that all the time. So, so I hate to feel <laughs> shit. I would, I would like to share with you um, my number one style tip. Oh, please. And Sean knows this because I reiterate it. <clears throat> okay. Contrast. Okay. Is my MO. So. Red and blue, I feel like... <laughs> no, no, I was just like, okay, can you describe? I, I can't, but anything that like a, asymmetry of contrast or color contrast, anything that pops, that's my go-to. Okay. 
All right. As I sit here in black. <laughs> I was partially like, does he mean he doesn't like contrast? Because he is pretty much no, wearing I'm one No, pro top. contrast. You're pro contrast. Yeah. Okay. Is that so, a thing? Yeah. So basically, a couple different things. One, wear whatever makes you feel good. <laughs> okay. Is okay. truly male or female. Great. Number two is you are a little bit talking about like one of my principles <laughs> is like worthy of remarking upon. Okay. Like what are things that people... Remark upon, you remark upon color or yeah. unique detail. And yeah. so when you start to think about what do I compliment other people or what do I notice on other people? You're like, oh, well, that's the stuff that stands out. That would be the difference if I want something that looks especially cool or noteworthy. So be like color is one of those things that people say to yourself, oh, I really like that color. Like it's a great color on you. Oh, it's a really happy color. Like, so yeah. like, there's that. And then also it's kind of, the two-part fashion cocktail, which is like my signature <laughs> principle, it's just all about balance. So it's like, you know, you want to be a like gin and soda. Like if you just had the, the liquor, like that's pretty strong. And if you just had the seltzer, like meh. But it's finding that right okay. balance. And I feel like that for everyone allows you to be like, okay, I'm feeling a little like meh in this outfit. How can I kind of <laughs> spice this up a little bit? Like, oh, I'm going to put on, you know, I'm going to add color in your case for yeah. example of like okay now i feel like this was more noteworthy or it's a lot of color it's like a lot of you know vodka like how can i tone this down wow. like okay maybe i can just put a neutral jacket with it your analogies are on point <laughs> my my fashion uh was formed in the locker room where, you know, I don't know if you've seen a football player like with a one arm sleeve, maybe with the visor and a long towel. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. Kind of like asymmetry. Yes. Which is really just, it's a big dancer thing as well. A lot of dancers, you'll see like one, um, one sweatpant is pulled up more than the other. It's cool. And things like that. I'm not quite sure why it's, they we all do that. But asymmetry. There, there is like a <laughs> asymmetry yeah. thing to it, which I'm a fan of. So anyway, thank you for indulging me on that. Um, if you guys want to find out more about Hillary and all the wonderful things she has going on, including her journal, you can check her out on Instagram at Hillary Rushford. Also, uh, her links are in the show notes down below. Hillary, thanks again. This was, this was yeah. fun. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs>